All right. Praise the Lord. Okay. Please open your Bibles. Uh, maybe the last time tonight I'll be saying to Numbers, as I think we're going to be finishing off the book of Numbers tonight, 34, 35, and 36. And we'll be beginning next week the book of Deuteronomy. So open up to Numbers chapter 34. Last we left off, we began reading uh, 33 specifically, looking at um, the sin of disobedience and the idea of it being an irritant. And if you think about that in verse 5, he says, But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be to those who remain, it shall be an irritant. In other words, uh, discomfort and also uh, troublesome and bothersome. Uh, in your eyes and thorns in your side, speaking to the fact that if we don't remove sin, it's going to do what? It's going to blind us and it's going to destroy us. That's what we see. Um, and as we read in 1 Corinthians 10, we know that all of these passages we have here in our Old Testament are meant for what today? They're examples for you and I. Every one of these is an example for you I, not just because it happened to Israel as a people, but it can happen to you and I today. And if we don't recognize that, if we don't see the picture or typology, the word more, more apropos in 1 Corinthians 10 is type, okay? That's really the Greek understanding of that. It's a picture. It's a typology for us to understand what it is today for you and I, that we can look back and we can see these things and these applications can be spread in our lives and we, we can learn without having to repeat the mistakes of our forefathers, if I can say it that way, or, or of our brethren. And that's even generational to generation, you know, parents being able to pour into their children, grandparents pouring into their grandchildren, you know, that's, it's beautiful when that happens. So let's, let's bow our heads in prayer and we'll, we'll begin here this, night, this evening. Father, we, we want to come before you here and Lord, we want to submit and surrender, uh, Lord, our, Lord, our desires that may be carnal, Lord, our things that are in the hearts of man that, that are wicked and an abomination, that are contrary to your will. As we just read, God, we, if we don't deal with the sin issue in our lives, Lord, it, it will consume us, you've told us. It, it will destroy us and it will blind us. Lord, we, we certainly, we don't want that, Lord. There's not a, a single one of us here that would ever want that, nor would we ever even wish, wish that upon an enemy, Lord. God, we pray that there'd be fertile ground found in our hearts here tonight. Lord, if there's not, go ahead and plow it up, God. We, we, we want you to do that tonight, Lord. Plow it up, that it, you may create a ground that is rich and fertile for seed, for your word to be planted. And Lord, that we would be expectant, that you would bring rain, that there would be fruit that would grow. And Lord, that fruit would ultimately bring glory and honor to your name, bring worship to you, Lord. You alone, there is no other God. There is no one we will bow before, but you, Father. You, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, be with us tonight. Guide us and equip us. Teach us what you want us to understand, Lord. If there's anything of man here tonight, Lord, I pray it would fade away. But whatever is in the spirit, Lord, let it be sealed in our hearts here tonight. We pray and ask this in obedience, but also, Lord, in humility, because we know there's no other way. In your name, Jesus Christ, in all God's people prayed. Amen, amen. 
Well, as we pick up here in chapter 34, we look at verse 1. The chapter is really going to go through the boundaries. I've asked Kevin uh, and the team to put up the map for the boundaries so you know what we're going to be talking about. Sort of going back through these appointed boundaries that God has already promised. Uh, It's in the past tense. It is done. These boundaries were to be given. And what's interesting is Israel has never actually occupied the entire boundaries in which God has set for them. You know, even, you know, we can study and look back at church history or uh, history in regards to Israel. And we can look back even in the 1948, you know, when they came back into their own land. It's a fraction of the land that God had given them that they're occupying today. And we saw from the previous administration, the previous president, that he wanted to go back to different borders. You know, 1967, it's always this fight in the land of Israel for what is, what belongs to Israel, what belongs to another people group there. And uh, what's astonishing about it all is God has promised this. God has delivered this to the children of Israel because it was his land to give. And he's the one that declared the borders as we read right in Genesis, as we read that it was promised. And what is so amazing is this is going to be done by lot. You know what lot would normally represent? Chance. We read in the Proverbs and the Psalm, there is no chance by God that way. God foreknows. He establishes. We simply catch up, if I can say it that. We're catching up to God's plan. But he said that those that were larger in tribe would inherit the larger pieces or parcels of land. Those that were smaller would inherit the smaller parcels or pieces of land. And Jacob had prayed a blessing over his children, if you remember that. And it falls out amazingly perfect to exactly how the blessing was bestowed, and then how these lots get cast. And the only one that will ever complain about any of the inheritance of the land, the only tribe that that will end up having a problem with this is the tribe of Dan. That's the only tribe. And if you think about that for a minute, why that is, we'll come back to that and we'll kind of look at that a little bit later, but why Dan? Think about that. When we get to around verse 14, 15, we'll kind of go through that. But all the other tribes didn't have a problem with the inheritance uh, that was given to them. They were grateful. But something with Dan changed. And as a matter of fact, in Revelation, they happened to be missing from the list. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Not finding contentment in God and what that leads to. Well, let's begin here. Verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel and say to them, When, okay, not if, When you come into the land of Canaan, this is the land that shall fall to you as an inheritance. The land of Canaan to its boundaries. And if you look up on the screens, he's going to put them up here in a moment. You'll see the actual boundaries as it lays out here in a moment of Canaan and and what would be basically God is giving them over to this land. All but who? Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh. Remember we talked about that last week. Why? Because they thought God's second best was good enough. Remember? They said, no, we would like to stay on this side of the Jordan because it's beautiful. And when we look at the, the area and the, 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 the grazing for our animals, this is, this is certainly good enough. And, and how many times do, you know, the potential for us to do that same thing, we, you know, we get some, we get somewhere, maybe we've been through trial, tribulation, catching our breath. Okay, Lord, I, I'm, I'm going to be content here. You know, I don't want to go any further. This, this is good enough. 
and they were going to miss out on what was promised to their fathers. And, and for hundreds of years, this land that would be inherited to them and then to their children that would inherit this land. And they were going to miss out on this promise because what was pleasing to the eye, they were willing to settle. How many Christians today are willing to settle for God's second, third, or fourth best instead of his very best? It's, it's what we see here. He says, your southern border shall be from the wilderness of Zin. And if you can look on the map, you may be able to see that I'm a little bit in your way. It's okay if, the, if I step out of the way here, okay? So we know that just from what we covered last night, last time, sorry, Wednesday, the wilderness of Zin is down this area, right? Kadesh Barnea, right? We got Edom over here. We've talked about Egypt being on this side. Saudi Arabia is down here, right? So just to orientate ourselves, Jerusalem about halfway up, okay? Jericho, um, you can see Bashan. You can see this whole area here, all right? And this is what God is going to give them. We're going to see the Mediterranean Sea, the Great Sea as it'll be called in Scripture, right? Or the great body of water, right? We're going to see how the Dead Sea down here, which is the Salt Sea, we'll see the translation, but that's what that is. And so what God's doing is he's laying out this territory, the boundaries of the land that they're going to receive or that God has so desired to give them. And so that's what we're reading about here. So he says, your southern border shall be from the wilderness of Zin along the border of Edom, right? We, we see that right down here. So right here. Edom is here, wilderness is in right here, right in this area, okay? And it says that on the south of Kadesh Barnea, then it shall go on to Hazar, Adar, and continue on to Ismon. Just so you know, most of these borders, we, we know with pretty good accuracy where they are. The only ones that might be sort of questionable is the borders to the north. That's where we, we, we may not know entirely how that really, you know, with our maps today and the map, this is a pretty good, I believe, uh, estimation of that. But that's where scholars and commentators debate is the northern boundary, really. It's not the southeast or western boundaries because they're pretty well marked and we, we can recognize them today. The border shall turn from um, Asmon to the brook of Egypt. That's not the Nile. Some people read that and say, I wonder if that's Nile. That's not the Nile. It shall end at the sea. What is the sea or the great sea, right? That's the Mediterranean Sea. That's what you see right back up there on the, on the map there. So he's saying that's that side of the border. Right? And if you think about those that would inhabit that, it's one of the most fertile and choice pieces of land because they back up to a body of water. It makes them in some ways in a defensive posture because they don't have to worry about being attacked from the back that way, right? From behind. So interesting, um, interesting about that. As for the Western border, you shall have the great sea for a border. This shall be the Western border, the coast. And this shall be the Northern border. From the great sea, you shall mark out your borderline to Mount Hor. Now again, we believe that's up here, right up to the tip in this area, right up in here, okay? We see that up there. We believe that's um, the Great Sea, a little bit actually, a um, little bit more towards Sidon, but a little higher. Yeah, way up there, but I can't reach that high. But <laughs> way up top there, we believe it's a little bit more north up here. Some argue, is it actually um, more uh, towards Damascus and Sidon? 
Some say, is that really the original location of Mount Hor? We, we just don't know that we're doing, you know, um, we know it's up north towards that area low. We, we just don't know how far, you know. Some say that Damascus was originally included, um, the Golan Heights and everything like that was originally all included in this land that was given to Israel today. And as you, if you've been looking at what's going on in the Middle East today, the, much of this land is being fought about, right? And, and, and God has already given them the, the land, the deed to this land. So that way, it, it belonged to God. He had the rights to give it. So from Mount Hor, you shall mark at your border to the entrance of Hamath. Then the direction of the border shall be towards Zedad. Direction of the border shall be, sorry, the border shall proceed to Ziphron and it shall end at Hazar Anon. This shall be your northern border. You shall mark out the eastern border for Hazan and on to Shepham or Shepham. The border shall go down from Shepham to Riblah or Riblah on the eastern side of In. The border shall go down and reach to the eastern side of the Sea of Chinnereth. Now, you may be seeing Sea of Chinnereth. What sea is that? It's the Sea of Galilee. Why do we know that? Because if you ever look at the Sea of Galilee here, Chinnereth, what's that mean in the Hebrew? It means harp. And right up in here, they say that if you look at the Sea of Galilee, which is right here, they say that it looks and is kind of shaped like a harp. That's where the name came from. So that's why they call it, you know, the Sea of Chinnereth. We call it the Sea of Galilee. That's what they call it as well. The border shall go down along the Jordan and it shall end at the Salt Sea, which we know as today is the Dead Sea, right? This shall be your land with its surrounding borders, border, boundaries. Excuse me. Then Moses commanded the children of Israel, saying, "This is the land which you shall inherit by lot." Right? Again, going back to Genesis forty-nine. You know, Jacob praying this upon the blessing upon his children. It, it, God has gone before them, and it's striking and remarkable exactly how accurate it is which the Lord has commanded to give to the nine tribes and to the half tribe for the tribe of the children of Reuben. And it's, it's almost like God brings this back out here in verse 14. Almost, as, I don't want to say sarcastically, but it's almost like God brings this back out going, and these are for the nine and a half tribes, you know, the ones that were obedient, that's going to inherit the land. But for these guys over here that think they know more, the half tribe of Manasseh, Reuben and Gad, they're going to be on the other side of the Jordan, right? Almost like he's making sure that everybody's fully aware. And, and aren't these, as we'll read on, these two tribes and the half of Manasseh will be the ones that we see will be, quite honestly, wiped out first. They're the ones that will have experienced war and uh, uh, calamity before any of the other tribes will. They're, they're the ones that take on the biggest casualty. Uh, and, and I don't know, is that any coincidence? Um, also, we talked about last week, think about this, their families, their children missed out on all the supernatural work of God to be able to see uh, as, as, you know, mom and dad would have gone into that land rather than leaving mom and the children back on the other side of the Jordan and dad going to fight the fight. And just thinking about the walls of Jericho falling down as they marched around the walls to be able to say, look, son, look, honey, what God, our God, our Father, the great I Am did, he, he's able to speak it, and it simply falls. He has us march around this. We, we, didn't, even, we didn't even hit it with a, a ram or anything like that, but God said it would be, and it has been. I mean, what a great testimony. What a, you know, 
how much they cheated. They cheated their children. They cheated their spouse out of growing their faith to be able to see this while they were trying to protect them. They were cheated out of this. They were cheated out of God's very best and the supernatural workings of God. The supernatural workings of God. Well, he, he repeats it here again. For the tribe of the children of Reuben, according to the house of their fathers, and the tribe of the children of Gad, according to the house of their fathers, have received their inheritance. And the half-tribe of Manasseh has received its inheritance. Now, again, they were content and seemed to be left out here. Uh, if you look in the book of Judges, chapter 17 through 21, you don't have to turn there right now you can read about the Danites and you can read what happened to the Danites, okay? I mentioned them early, if you remember in my introduction when I was talking about, you know, the different tribes. Um, Dan, you know, the only one that as we look in Revelation chapter seven, also not listed. You know, what is it about this tribe that didn't want to be uh, obedient in that way, right? Um, I, I, I... you know, as we go through scripture and we begin to look more at that, I, I think it's worth it when we get to judges to spend a little time talking about the Danites and, and what happened that when we, when we look at these borders and when we look at what God was, was going to do, how they more or less because of their pagan worship have been left out of the inheritance, have been left out of the inheritance that God had planned them for them, you know, given to them that way. The two and a half tribes, or the, the two tribes and the half tribe have received their inheritance on the other side of the Jordan across the Jericho, eastward towards the sunrise. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, these are the names of the men who shall divide the land among you as an inheritance. Now, striking, right? Here's God. He's certainly very involved in his people. They've been walking and following him by a cloud by day and, you know, fire by night, you know, a pillar that way. Uh, but God selects these men, these godly men. He names them specifically. He knows them personally. And he actually tells them they're going to uh, be responsible for the tribe that they're a part of, that family, to help divide this land. You know, you ever wonder, Lord, do you know the intricacies of my heart, Lord? Do you know, uh, you know, my coming out and my going in? Do you, do you know all these things? And here we read and we'll learn, God is aware of the most intimate details that he even knows them by name. He can call them out specifically. He knows their heart. He knows they're good men, that they love the Lord. And he's called these men for, you know, specifically a time to go through and divide this land. So, and the Lord said to Moses, saying, these are the names of the men who shall divide the land among you as an inheritance. Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun. And you shall take one leader of every tribe to divide the land for an inheritance. These are the names of the men for the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephna. We've, we've heard of Caleb. From the tribe of the children of Simeon, Shemiel, the son of Amihud. Now, what's interesting is if you ever did a name study this is a great place to do it. Just for time, we, we won't be able to do that tonight. But I encourage you to go back and look at the names here in the Hebrew and what those names mean. It's a rich, rewarding study to study these because almost all of them connote some type of positive or, or something of a blessing. Um, it, it's striking. From the tribe of Benjamin, Eladad, the son of Chilson, a leader from the tribe of the children of Dan, Buki, uh, 
That's his guy. The son of Jogli, from the sons of Joseph, a leader from the tribe of the children of Manasseh, Haniel, the son of Ephod, and a leader from the tribe of, jo- of uh, children of Ephraim, Camuel, the son of Shiphtan, a leader from the tribe of the children of Zebulun, Elizaphan, the son of Parnach, a leader from the tribe of the children of Ishakar, Palatiel, the son of Azan, a leader from the tribe of the children of Asher, Ehud, the son of Shalumai, and a leader from the children of the Naphtali, Padil, the son of Amihud. These are the ones the Lord commanded to divide the inheritance among the children of Israel in the land of Canaan. Now, we go to chapter 35, and you might be wondering, what does this have to do with us today? And why did the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, uh, give us chapter 35? Well, in chapter 34, we just saw these boundaries set. But who were the boundaries set for? For the tribes that would inherit land. Well, there's a tribe. There was one of the sons of Jacob that we didn't see in that list. Who was that? Levi, the Levites, right? They were to be dedicated on the Lord. They were actually, uh, if you remember, we read God had turned around and done what? He had bought them back because the firstborn son was to be dedicated, right? And he turned around and he bought that back. And he basically took the entire tribe of Levi to be serving as part of the, the, the priest, to help and come along the priest and serve that way. Remember, as we talked about the tabernacle and the moving of the tabernacle and, you know, pulling together all the implements and everything, you know, the, 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 the carrying of the Ark of the Covenant, everything. These guys were coming around. These Levites were coming around as part of that. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Command the children of Israel... Um, that they give the Levites cities to dwell in from the inheritance of their possession. And you shall also give the Levites common land around the city. This idea of common land, okay, uh, you could, uh, another word for it we might use today, we have cities, and what do we call it when we live outside the cities? You're in the suburbs, right? That is a better, uh, I think even a better translation. That's actually the original translation in the King James is suburbs. I I think it's uh, better than the New King James here in this area. Uh, New King James is common land, but it it is suburbs, right? That's what we see. And what were the suburbs for? What what do we see in the suburbs today other than, you know, row houses, right? (laughs) Before everything got built up and everybody built row houses or cookie cutter houses, as I like to call them, what, what, what what do we see in the suburbs? I mean, I know I live out near Boiling Springs area, you know, Carlisle area, and if I drive out about 10, 15 minutes, I look to my right and I look to my left, and what do I see? Farming land, land, right? Grazing land, land for animals and livestock, right? So what we see here is part of what God is going to command is that there's going to end up being six cities that are going to be dedicated, okay? Kevin, you can drop the projector here at this point. There are going to be six cities, six cities that are going to end up being dedicated as cities of refuge. Areas where manslaying and all that stuff is going to be uh, those that are fleeing if it wasn't uh, premeditated till the um, church, Israel, at that time has a chance to meet and, and you know, judiciously weigh in? Was it uh, an accident? Was it something that was uh, on purpose? You know, much of our legal system today comes from this text here today. It comes from this text. And when you study it, it's the, what are we? We're innocent until proven guilty. And this is the idea of where this came from, these cities of refuge where they could flee. I've often said today in the days we're living, these last days, the church, the body of Christ, 
This church, this is a city of refuge. It's an area for people to come in that may be fleeing the world, that want to come in and be fed and refreshed and filled. I've, I've referenced the church today in many ways as a city of refuge. But, but there'll be six that we'll read about, six cities of refuge. And then we're going to see that they're given 42 cities. So when you add the six and the 42, you get 48 total cities that we'll see. And that land was given as an inheritance to the Levites that way, not that they would own it, but that they would be in those areas and they were center places. So as you would take these boundaries and you'd look all around at where these cities are, the six cities of refuge, they're specifically placed geographically where someone that occupies in these cities can come either to this common land or they can easily make their way in and out until the high priest who weighed in has passed away, which is going to be the requirement of when they're if they're found not guilty, able to go back to their original home. And that's really what chapter 35 is going to go through. We're going to read about these cities. We're going to see that, again, there's 48 of them. They're strategically placed all over this area that God has given them. And, and it's a place that God has already seen, knowing the carnality, knowing the heart of man, that he would build places like this. We don't read, I want to be clear, we don't read anything about a prison Okay, we, we don't read anything about police officers, right? I'm, I'm not saying that in any, in any way negative. I'm just meaning we don't see that. This uh, law that we see here, the, the ordinances of God that were delivered here, uh, there's no other way to say it. They all uh, move or favor capital punishment. So that if uh, there was a wrongdoing where blood was spilled, blood would be required, and it was the, it was the uh, next of kin that would actually come to, to, uh, to make it right, whether that was the parent or the son or the, and we'll see that. And, you know, even there are still cities like that today, um, not in America, but obviously around the world, where if you break in and steal something, uh, they'll chop your hand off. I'm, I'm sure you've heard of places like that, okay? Uh, it's a quite a deterrent. Uh, you walk around the city streets and you see people um, with their hands chopped off, you think twice about stealing. Um, look, I'm not weighing in on the right or wrong or the implications today. I'm simply telling you this is what God's word teaches. This is how it was handled. And when it was done this way, or, or even in cities like that, you really don't see a vast problem with crime that way. You, you, don't, you don't have a tremendous uh, a problem with stealing when they cut your hands off, right? It, it, it tends to uh, rehabilitate the individual uh, by having them think through their actions before they commit that action, right? It gives them a moment of pause to think about it, right? So uh, again, I'm, I'm not saying I endorse it or not. The point I'm getting at is this is, this is what we see here. So, and, and the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab, Jordan across the Jericho, saying, command these children. So that's what we see here. He says that he's commanding them to do what? To dwell and to uh, have these cities, this inheritance of their possession. They shall also give the Levites common land, suburbs around these cities. They shall have the cities to dwell in and their common land or suburbs shall be for their cattle, for their herds, and for their animals. The common land, again, suburbs of the cities, which will give the Levites shall extend from the wall of the city outward a thousand cubits. Roughly a cubit is 18 inches. So what that's saying is 1,500 feet all around. And you shall measure outside the city on the east side 2,000 cubits. Well, we, can, we certainly can multiply by two. That's 3,000 feet. 
okay? On the south side, 2,000 2, cubits on the west side and 2,000 cubits on the north side, um, we see 2,000 cubits. So we have one side that's 1,000, but the other remaining sides are 2,000. So one side that's 1,500 feet and then 3,000, 3,000, and 3,000 is what we see uh, um, for, for this measurement of what's uh, given to the Levites in this land, okay? Almost like think of it as the center of the, the whole area being given so that everybody has easy access to these cities of refuge. The city shall be in the middle this shall belong to them as common land for the cities. Now among the cities which you will give to the Levites, you shall appoint six cities of refuge, right? So if there was premeditated or accidental, uh, that's what these cities are for, to which a manslayer may flee, right? So a manslayer is someone that has uh, taken someone's life. Uh, if it was premeditated, it's called murder, if it's not premeditated, the idea is uh, it's an accident, um, and that person is a manslayer nonetheless, but it was accidental. And to these you shall add 42 cities. So that gives us 48 uh, cities total. So all the cities you will give to the Levites shall be 48. These you shall give with their common land. And the cities which you will give shall be from the possession of the children of Israel. From the larger tribe you shall give many. From the smaller you shall give few. So again, fairness and justice. From those that have more land, they will give more. From those that have smaller parts of land, they will give less. But nevertheless, everybody is going to give of the inheritance that God has given them to possess in this land for these cities. Okay, to the Levites, right? Each shall give some of its cities in proportion to the inheritance that they receive. Now, if you look at them, the six would be Kadesh, Shechem, and Hebron. If I took the three off to the east that way, right? It's Kadesh, Shechem, and Hebron. If you look at the, uh, the ones on the left, it's Golan, um, Ramoth, and Bezir are the three to the west. Those are the six cities of refuge there that you would see. Then the Lord Moses spoke, or sorry, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into the land of Caden, then you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally, right, that's not premeditated, that's not murder, but that is manslaying still nonetheless, may flee there. Now, it was customary at that time and a requirement that all roads and all signs had to be maintained and available all year long. It could never be a situation with weather or uh, maintenance of a sign not being. If somebody was fleeing and they were heading to the one of these, they had to know how to get to this city and the road had to be passable. At all times, that was required. Then you shall appoint these cities, or the cities to be cities for refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person may accidentally may flee there. They shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger. Now, what is the avenger? Remember I talked about that kinsman that would, uh, if someone had premeditated and murdered someone in your family, they were required, that avenger, to avenge the blood of that person that was killed. Now, part of that responsibility was that they were to travel to find that person and they were to, to kill them. That was what was required as part of this capital punishment. God will, will actually command that. They're to put them to death, okay? Three different times he's actually gonna, gonna tell us that. But 
specifically, the important here is these are people that premeditated murder, okay? Premeditated murder. People that were, uh, had committed it by accident. He's going to go throw that. If it was with wood or, or stone, if you were throwing something and, you know, somebody happened to walk in front of it, you didn't see them there, and it hits them in the head, clearly an accident, and they fall and die, or it hits them in the head, they have a concussion, they begin to die, clearly that's accidental. They would flee to the city of refuge, and their lives were not required, and the avenger was not allowed to go in and try to retaliate in some way for the spilled blood. So God has laid this all out, a God of decency and order, a God of justice. So we read here, he said, they shall be cities of refuge. The avenger and the men, the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. You are innocent until proven guilty. We get this in our court of law or we're supposed to uh, today. Verse 13, and of the cities which you give, you shall have six cities of refuge. You shall appoint three cities on this side of the Jordan and three cities you shall appoint in the land of Canaan, which will be cities of refuge. These six cities shall be of refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger and the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. But if he strikes him with an iron implement so that he dies, he is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. That's the first time you'll see that. Uh, we'll see it three other times. Uh, you can underline that, and it's speaking of capital punishment. And if he strikes him with a stone in the hand by which one could die, and he does die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. Again, second time. Rules are important. Aren't, aren't you grateful for rules? Rules are important. We have laws that we obey. Um, you know, 35 miles an hour and you set your cruise control for 40, you know, laws <laughs> that we obey, but they're there to protect us. If people weren't putting laws in place and there wasn't uh, lines in the road that tell you what side of the road you're to be driving on or whether you're able to cross over, you'd have many head-on collisions. You know, I can remember back when I was young, I worked uh, for a tree uh, service um, company in Rochester, New York, and I was very young, and I can remember, uh, you know, we would climb the trees, and I would cut things down, and then as they would fall, uh, we would take them, and we would put them through the chipper. Um, some of the bigger logs, we would bring them back. We would take uh, basically a dozer or something like that, pick them up, put them in the back of the trucks. Once we got them back to the farm, what we would turn around and do is we would take the chainsaws out, and we'd begin cutting them. We also had a log splitter, so once we got them small enough, we'd go ahead and use the log splitter. But then when we did the log uh, splitter, what we did is we would throw them in these big piles. I mean, the pile would be 20 foot high. I'm no exaggeration, big, big piles. And then every uh, winter, you know, or before winter come, people would call for, you know, their wood. You know, I'd have, I want a core, I want a full core, I want a half core, you know, whatever they want. And we'd go out and deliver all that wood. Well, I can remember one day, you know, it was hot. It's probably 85 degrees. That's hot in Rochester. That's like your hundred here. And uh, as we, it's land, ice, and snow. So it's 85 degrees. I'm grabbing the wood. I'm, I'm, I'm sweating it. I'm throwing it. And I'm quite honestly not looking, you know, to my left too much. And I, yet I'm throwing a, a piece of wood that's pretty sizable. And one of the gentlemen I worked with, um, he turned around and he had come around the side and I, I didn't catch him on my peripheral vision. And I remember grabbing and I saw him kind of at the last minute as I turned and it was too late. My hands were slippery. I, I had the gloves on, but for whatever reason, it, I couldn't stop it and it clocked him right in the head. And I never forgot. He goes down the blood, the whole thing. 
And I just, I remember thinking, ah, oh. you know, he goes inside. We obviously wrap his head. Uh, you're in the middle of a farm. There's, you know, it's not a time to call the doctor. You, you apply pressure. You're, you're working through these. And I thought, you know, as I read this, I thought, Lord, boy, that can happen to anybody. Here I was, you know, 15 and 16 years old. You know, I'm working through the summer. And, you know, I would have had to flee to a city of refuge. You know, granted, he didn't die, praise the Lord. But if he had died, I would have had to flee to a city of refuge. And it happened just like that. It wasn't intentional. Uh, certainly, I never saw that coming, nor did he, obviously. But these laws were put in place. These statutes and commandments were put in place to protect, to guide, you know. And, and remember, these are examples for us today. Laws aren't bad. You know, if without laws, we'd have anarchy, right? We'd have anarchy. Laws are good. So he says, if he strikes him with a stone in the hand by which one could die and he does die, he's a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. Or if he strikes him with a wooden hand weapon by which one could die and he does die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. The avenger of blood himself. Underline that. Just think about that. This is, this is real. This is you going out. Someone you love who's been murdered. This is real. You going out and you're required to take that person's life. I, I want you to understand this isn't, this isn't just about accidents either or, or premeditated. This is also going to deal with the motive of the heart. He's going he's to bring that out in, in verse 20 when he starts talking about enmity or hatred or anger. He's going to build on this that, that even in these things, that the motives of the heart matter, but, but I, I think about that person that would have to do that. That if somebody, you know, accidentally had, you know, well, it's not so much accident because they would flee, premeditated, pardon me, murdered somebody in your family for whatever reason, you were to, to go out and you were to handle that. I mean, you know, yes, I'm sure you were hurt and devastated at that moment, but to turn around and have to do that, that, that was a requirement, and that must have been incredibly difficult for that family member that had to do that. The avenger of blood himself shall put the murderer to death, and when he meets him, he shall put him to death. And this is, again, this avenger is the next of kin. If he pushes him out of hatred, okay, now we're dealing with motives of heart, or will lying in wait hurl something at him so that he dies or enmity, or anger, he strikes him with his hand so that he does die. The one who struck him shall surely be put to death. He is a murderer, and the avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. Again, all speaking of premeditated. However, if he pushes him suddenly without an enmity, in other words, without anger, the motive of the heart is not to hurt this individual or throws anything at him without lying in wait, much like what I gave you is that example with the wood that I was tossing as I was, you know, as it had been split and I was tossing it. Certainly there was no malice in my heart. I didn't intend it or uses a stone by which a man could die, throwing it at him with see, without seeing him so that he dies while he was not his enemy, or seeking him harm or his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood according to these judgments. So the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood, and the congregation shall return to him to the city to the refuge where he had fled, and he shall remain there, and here's the provision, until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. 
What a picture of this. Who's our high priest today? Jesus Christ. Jesus had to pay a price for you and I, didn't he? He went to the cross. Do you see the picture here? Look at the picture of this. Until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the Holy Only after this high priest had died, who was filled with the Spirit of God, only after that could you go back because you were redeemed in that way. You were allowed to go back. The picture pointing to Jesus is what? We were forgiven. We were forgiven. We don't go back certainly to our past uh, carnal nature, but we go forward to be with Jesus in eternity. You see that? But if the manslayer at any time goes outside the limits of the city of refuge where he fled and the avenger of blood finds him outside the limits of his city of refuge and the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, he shall not be guilty of the blood. You see, God made provisions. There's law. He provided cities of refuge, six of them. You're to remain in these cities until that high priest dies. If you choose to leave, you're taking things into your own account, into your own hands. And this is important because God has given us commandments and statutes to live by today, hasn't he? And yet we have a moral law. What's our moral law? The Decalogue, right? We look at the Ten Commandments. We still are not to murder. We're not to lie. We're not to covet, right? We're not to commit adultery, right? These things aren't okay because we're no longer under a law because we've been set free by grace. He never advocated that we... We, we, we walk away from the moral law. We're just simply not under the ceremonial laws and practices or feast days that way. But he's provided a way. And when you fail to use the provision provided, ultimately you're taking things into your own hand. And ultimately there'll be a requirement of blood. Now what else is that a picture of? For those that don't place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and God certainly they haven't received him as Lord and Savior. As he would die, that man or woman, and he stands in the throne room of God, and the books are open that describe the acts that he's done over his lifespan. And when the great accuser, the enemy himself, or God opening those books, looking, and your own conscience bearing witness saying, yes, I, I've done all these things. Well, how do you pay for this? For you haven't kept the law. You've fallen short of the glory of God. Remember, the standard isn't your brother or sister. The standard is God's standard. It's a perfect and righteous standard. Well, how does that, how does that dealt with? How is that reconciled? Unless you have Jesus that stands up and says, he's mine, my blood, has washed him and cleansed him and set him free for he is my child and I am his Lord. Which case all the charges that were once heaped upon you now are laid upon the Messiah, Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. And when the great accuser of God looks to his son, he says, Calvary the cross. All of the sin, past, present, and future was laid upon you. And you are without sin as we read that you may become, that we would become the righteousness of God. Do you see? 
This is it. This is why we get a picture of this. Even in, even in the Old Testament passages, we go through this, we start it because he's been giving us pictures and typologies of this the whole time. He says, you should have remained. There's only one way. There's only one way. It's not through the God of Hinduism. It's not through Abraham. Okay, it's not through Buddha. There's only one way, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's only one way that the blood of Jesus Christ can wash you and cleanse you. And that's when he is your Lord and Savior. When you have asked him into your heart, and he dwells with you, and he is your God, and you are his child. That's the only way. There's not a lot of ways. He made it one way, and it's a gift, and it's by faith. So that you can't boast and you can't work it up and you can't go, hey, how are you doing? I'm doing, man, you should see me. I got 20 points this week. What? It's like you're going to work your way in the right relationship? Praise God we see. There's one way. Hey, you do that and you go outside that. You're taking everything in your own hands. And that person that comes, you're guilty of that blood. And he shall not be guilty of the blood spread there because he provided a provision. And that's what we see in the salvation message of the gospel today. He's provided a way. Because he should have remained in his city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession. And these things shall be a statute of judgment to you throughout your generations and all your dwellings. Whoever kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the testimony of a witness, but one witness is not sufficient testimony against the person for the death. Two or three. You needed two or three, right? God, notice that God puts this in here because he knows the carnality of man's heart to bear false witness. So he even puts a way in here to protect. Moreover, you shall take no ransom. Oh, hallelujah. Does he know man's heart? Bribery. Right? Think bribery, judges. How, who would take, you know, well, I'll look this way. I'll look that way. I'm friends with you. You know, whatever. Look, I'm, I'm not getting into the political aspect, but, but these men and women that serve in judicial positions, they have been allowed to be there by God's design and plan. And they will answer to God for the judgments that they make. They will stand before God and say, were you a holy and righteous judge? Or did you judge with favor? right? That's, that's what's going to happen. He's, he's laid it out there that you shall take no ransom for the life of murder who is guilty. There's no way to redeem it. Do you see that? You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't do it yourself. Hallelujah. God made sure that everybody saw the picture, you know, the typology and picture here. You can't buy your own salvation. You can't earn your own salvation. You can't do it by keeping the law because no man can keep the law. Do you see that? You can't barter it. I love that he put this picture. You can't miss it. It's a great place to bring someone that, that is struggling, you know, struggling with this understanding of grace, of mercy, of faith. You shall take no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. And you shall take no ransom for him who has fled to the city of refuge, for he may return to dwell in the land before the death of the priest. So why is all this important? Why does God care so much about making sure that this person that's premeditated 
and hurt someone else and taken a life that they, that the Avenger has to go and, and seek justice. That's what that is. Justice for the life that's been lost, that they, them have to kill and that this person isn't allowed to go on. Again, no prisons. Okay. No, no police officers this way. What's God's system of justice? That's what we're looking at here. And, and why? He tells us in verse 33, why? What, why do you do this, Lord? So you shall not pollute the land where you are, for blood defiles the land. And no atonement can be made for the land, for the blood that is shed on it, except by the blood of him who shed it. He's saying that's justice. That, that idea of defilement, that idea of pollution that speaks to a staining, it's talking about a staining in the context of morality. That when you stain, you know, when someone commits adultery, it's referred to as a stain. Why is it called a stain? Because it's something that's a stain that stays. It's, it's, it's bloodshed that way to some content, you know, to some extent, excuse me. It, it's moral defilement. That's what we see here. And he says there's nothing that can atone for that. But we, we've been told something because we've been given the full picture, right? We can see the glass full now. Whatever sin we've committed in our lives, whatever atrocity or things we've done, we've been told that if we humble ourselves and repent, we will be what? Forgiven. Do you see the grace of God? What is real justice here? We talk about justified. We read that in Romans. You were justified. It's a legal term. You were justified. It points back to here that the right justice would be the blood shed on, for that individual that committed that sin. That is the right answer. But through God's grace, we have a propitiation, a substitute in Jesus Christ on our behalf because something has to make right that justice because God is no respecter of persons. And hallelujah, he's not a respecter of persons because when he examines the heart, he doesn't tell you what you want to hear, right? He doesn't tell me what I want to hear. Many mornings I wake up and I pray and I'm reading the Bible and I'm wrecked. I'm crying, I'm weeping. You know, 15 minutes into it, I'm, I'm a wreck because I, I, I read over and over again, whatever passage I'm in uh, anymore, I, I can't help but see God's love and grace through it. And I just recognize who I am. Oh, wretched man, as Paul says. But then I see myself as Christ sees me now, right? Redeemed, justified. And I think, Lord, how could you do that? It is, it is, beyond, it is beyond my understanding how wonderful this is, how great and compassionate you are. That, that is the God that I serve. This is the God I want to tell everybody about. I want everybody to know this God. I want everybody to know my Jesus. He's your Jesus too. And I want everybody to know him. And you want everybody to know him. Because when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's nothing else like it. Everything makes sense. Even though there's horrible things happening today, as we see in this world, we know from a perspective of God's perspective, not man's, that soon and very soon, we will be with Jesus and there will be no more pain. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more death. There will be no more sexual immorality. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more, you know, defilement and, and, and ill-advised justice. It will be all perfect as God has ordained it. No more struggling. 
No more striving for righteousness. No more having to, to, to wrestle. No, no more hearing aids. No more cheaters. Right? No more glasses that way. No, no, more, no more canes. No more wheelchairs. God's going to set us free. And he's going to heal us. And he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. No more sadness. No more depression. No more suicide. No more self-hurt. No more. It's all gone. He's going to get rid of all of that wickedness. He's going to restore right living and right relationship. He's going to equip us to be together in the greatest family ever with new hearts. And he's already given us those new hearts. Jeremiah 31, 31 says that the Jew, when he cries out to Messiah in the last days, he too will get a new heart and he will drop his plowshare and he won't no longer have to go and try to convince somebody of the goodness of God because they will innately know and see and recognize they will taste and see how good. They will taste and see how good. He says it defiles the land. That's what sin does. It defiles us. It defiles the land. It consumes everything. There's no coincidence that we are heading into 1 Corinthians chapter 5 this Sunday. Hey, if, if there's a Sunday to come, this is the Sunday. It's going to be heavy, man. It's going to be heavy. It's going to get laid down hot because God's truth sets us free. Bring your friends, man. I'm telling you, if, if there was a time to come, bring your friends. Because it, he's going to express what the pandemic is today. What, what, what the virus consuming humanity is today. He's not worried about the Ebola. All right? The Ebola is real. He's worried about the sin in the heart of man that's devouring people every day and consuming them. And he's going to deal with it in this church in Corinth because he knew it was coming to a church near you. Seven of the churches, only one, the church of Philadelphia, brotherly love, that we just happen to be in the commonwealth of. Praise the Lord, right? And I pray, God, this always remains a church of Philadelphia here. Now, on to chapter 36 as we hear, we're going to kind of close with this last chapter. It's been an awesome study through numbers. I mean, how about it, right? You guys thought numbers, numbers, what about arithmetic? What are we going to be doing? Oh, how rich has this been? All the pictures and typology of Jesus, all that we've learned, and all for us today. Well, as we go through this last chapter, he's going to deal with some final um, issues that have to do with land rights. Specifically, remember the daughters of Zelophehad and how they were going to be given the land? And God had weighed in on that and said, yes, if there is no son for the inheritance, because normally it went to the eldest son. And the eldest son at that time had a responsibility to divide 50% of it up. And what he did is he allowed the youngest first to take, and he would take it, ultimately knowing, he being the oldest, that the youngest would get the smallest proportion, you know, proportion that way, but also knowing that they're the youngest and most naive maybe potentially, so they can't do as much damage because if you had let the youngest decide who gets what, the youngest might say it all comes to me right? But the eldest, a little more maturity, a little there, you know, was, this is what we see. This was tradition at that time. So he says, what happens when the eldest son isn't there? When, when, when no one's able to weigh in like that, then these women, these daughters of Zelophehad, they're going to receive the inheritance. But what happens when they marry? See, he knows the carnality of man's heart. What happens when they marry? Because men in other tribes are going to take advantage of this, aren't they? They're going to turn around and say, hey, these Zelophehad girls, 
They're looking pretty good right out now. Not only do you get to marry them, but you get a parcel of land. And that land then gets appointed to your tribe, Reuben, right? Well, in this case, Reuben was on the other side. So Judah, okay? So if you marry three or four of the girls of Zelophehad, all of a sudden, a lot of their inheritance, which was originally uh, given to them, would now come over to the tribe of Judah. And you could see where that would create a disproportionate inheritance. God wasn't going to allow that. God isn't going to allow that. He knows the carnality of man. He knows that they would play onto the woman and expose them or take advantage of them. And God says, uh-uh, no way. Because back in those days, you know, and, and much of it is the same today. It's not everywhere, but it follows the last name. It, the last name stays in the family line for a man. You, not, not everywhere, certainly. But, uh, and because of that, that inheritance stays in that same family line, right? So God's protecting his daughters, that's what he's doing here. And he's also protecting the tribe, the tribe in which this, this would come from here, okay? And this tribe, if, if you didn't know, it's, it's, it's Manasseh. It's Manasseh, half the tribe of Manasseh here. Now the chief fathers of the families of the children of Gilead, son of Maker, the, uh, the son of Manasseh, of the families of the sons of Joseph, came near and spoke before Moses and before the leaders, the chief fathers of the children of Israel. And they said, the Lord commanded my Lord Moses to give the land as an inheritance by lot to the children of Israel. And my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of our brother Zelophehad to his daughters. Do you remember reading that in Numbers? We went and looked at that. You know, again, to the son and the name would stay in the family. That was the design. And they came up to Moses, the girls, and said, well, how does this work? Our father wasn't one of the men that had gone against God. He didn't do anything wrong, you know. He, he, he certainly, he was part of those, that generation in the wilderness that died off. But, but he wasn't, he didn't have anything with Koath. He didn't, he wasn't part of the Koathites and everything that had gone down there. He didn't come with that 250 that came against Moses and, and what have you. He says, our father wasn't, wasn't part of that. Why, why should we give up our inheritance? And God says, absolutely right, daughters. Now, if they are married to any of the sons of any other tribe or of the other tribes of the children of Israel, then their inheritance will be taken from the inheritance of their father. See, that's what they're concerned about. And it shall be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry. So it will be taken from the lot of our inheritance. And Manasseh already having half of the inheritance on one side and the other half on the other side, because half of the tribe of Manasseh said, we want to what? They went in with Gad. And they went in with Reuben and said, we're not crossing over the Jordan. We want our parcel land here. So that means you only have half of a tribe of Manasseh now. And they're on the side of the promised land. And if you take that out, well, then you're taking a half of a, you know, you're, you're whittling down that half of the half. So that's basically what, he, you know, he's saying here. These, the, 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 the men that are coming up and, and speaking to Moses about it. Then Moses commanded the children of Israel according to the word of the Lord. So God certainly directs this, saying what the tribe of the sons of Joseph speaks is right. It's correct. This is what the Lord commanded concerning the daughters of Zelophehad, saying, let them marry who they think best, but they marry only within the family of their father's tribes, right? This is what God's design was from the beginning. Now, look, this is, let's be clear. This is not talking about inbreeding, right? This is not, this is not talking about that. Remember, your father's family, right? So you're talking third, you have fourth cousins, okay, fifth. You know, you, you get so far removed, you're talking 400 plus years, okay, from the time they came out of Egypt, so far removed that, it, you know, Aren't we all cousins in here to some extent? Last I checked, we're brothers and sisters by the scripture, but 
Didn't we all get off that boat together? Noah, his wife, his three sons and their three wives. Last I checked. So, I mean, you know, you can go back. It's interesting. Answers in Genesis. Uh, Ken Ham, if you ever go to the creation museum, he's a big, big, you walk right in. It's, I think right in, we walk into the right and it shows where they believe these tribes after they got off, you know, the boat and what have you, where they kind of all went, you know, Shem, obviously more towards Israel. Okay. Um, Japheth, more Europe. Okay. And, and you can kind of see the, the, you know, these land bridges where they traveled and, and here we all are today. We don't see any differentiation of race. We don't see any differentiation that way because we all got off the boat together. The Bible doesn't speak of it. You don't see it anywhere in the Bible. It's invented by man. It's a great division. My Bible doesn't talk about that. My, my Bible doesn't talk about people different that way. Okay? We all got off the boat. So, clearly, they're cousins. This isn't inbreeding. I mean, again, certainly they're not marrying their sister or brother. Obviously, that's wrong. So, the inheritance of the children of Israel shall not change hands from the tribe to tribe. For every one of the children of Israel shall keep the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. And every daughter who possesses an inheritance in any tribe of the children of Israel shall be with the wife of the family of her father's tribe. So, pardon me, that the children of Israel... Each may possess their inheritance of their fathers. Thus, and what are they going to be ultimately concerned with? Jubilee, right? Thus, no inheritance shall change hands from one tribe to another, but every tribe of the children of Israel shall be kept in its own inheritance. Just as the Lord commanded Moses, so did the daughters of Zilaphad for Mela or Mala. You know, uh, you can look up these names. Mala is the only one that seems to have a Negative connotation, her name, when you look at the name in the Hebrew. But, but Terzah, Hagla, Milka, and Noah, obviously Noah meaning rest. Um, these daughters of Zelophehad were married to the sons of their father's brothers. They were married into the families of the children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. And their inheritance remained in the tribe of their father's family. These are the commands and the judgments which the Lord commanded the children of Israel. That's important. Did he command this to the United States of America? No, he commanded this to the children of Israel. By the hand of Moses in the plains of Moab, by the Jordan across from Jericho. Now, why do I ask, or why do I say it this way? Did he command? Where did they get the first set of laws, statutes, and commandments? On Mount Sinai. This is the second set that we see here. The second set of commandments and statutes and example, Right? These are all pictures for us. Pictures for us, certainly not to enter into temptation, certainly not to, to uh, allow sexual immorality. And, and unfortunately, we will read, as we continue on, we will see that what happens, that Israel, in effect, does fall in to the very thing God was trying to protect them from, idolatry, ultimately idolatry. And it was through their sin. He's given this all as an example for you and I to stay holy and pure, to be set apart that way. Certainly not to be set apart as though we need to go find a parcel of land and, you know, I mean, doesn't, doesn't Paul already in 1 Corinthians 4 deal with that issue? He says, look, if I was talking to the world and I said to no longer have company or fellowship with someone that's in sin, he said, where would you go? He says, you can't get off the earth. Right? Like, where are you going to go? It's everywhere. Right? What is he talking about? He, 
we're going we're gonna to continue on reading it, but we already read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He was describing that we're not to engage brothers and sisters, right? We're not, this is the church of Israel he's talking to, we're not to engage in those kind of things that the world does. You know, that doesn't mean we don't talk to people in the world that are certainly engaging in those things. How we're to give the gospel, but we're not to eat with them. We're not, we're not someone engaged in sexual morality ongoing. We're, we're not to, we're not to be, you know, we're not to be like, Hey, come on over for dinner, you know, every night and, you know, just swinging, man, things are good. No, right. Absolutely not. I don't mean that term in a derogatory. I mean, I mean, hanging. Okay. Maybe better put, right. That's not what we're talking about here. God was giving this as an example. Look, look in your Bibles. We'll, we'll close with this. Go to 1 Corinthians 10. Look at why he gave us this. We'll, we'll look at it again here. First Corinthians 10. Moreover, brethren, starting at verse one, I don't want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. We see that even that rock that, that was hit at Rephidim was a picture of Jesus. That the water that gushed flowing forward was a picture of the living water that Jesus Christ himself was. That water that was living that didn't grow stale, that you would thirst no more. Rephidim, right? You remember, they wanted to stay in Elam with all the palm trees and everything nice as we read in, in Numbers. But if they hadn't gone to Rephidim, how would they have had that encounter supernaturally? We, we, need, to, you know, we, need, to, we need to be aware of that. But with the most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness, talking of the parents. Now these things became our what? Examples, that word there is type. That's where we see type. That's what it means. It's a picture. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as some of them, as it was written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up and play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Where was that again? The book of Numbers. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted them and were destroyed by serpents. Where was that again? The book of Numbers. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Where was that again? Book of Numbers. Now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition. You see that? Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You don't have to ever enter into idolatry. You don't ever have to enter into immorality. God always provides a way. It doesn't mean it's easy. Man, don't we feel like we're alone a lot of times? When we're going through those experiences, don't you feel like you're alone, right? Lord, is it just me? Am I on the island? I got nobody. What's going on? You know what's, no. 
That's a lie from the pit of hell. You are never alone. You and Jesus are a multitude. You just don't recognize it at that moment because the attack is coming so hard from the enemy because he doesn't want you to be pieced out with Jesus. He doesn't want you to have that joy, but he's given it to you. He'll surround you with people like that. When you feel like that, you know, come into the church, man. If you ever feel alone, you're like, man, I don't know. Come on down here. We'll rap with you. We'll talk with you. You know, we have guys come for worship night. We had a guy just this week. He came in. He says, man, I just... Better than sitting at home alone. He just came in and listened to the worship music, started to out his guitar, and, you know, Jennifer was working with him, and, you know, praise God. Isn't that awesome? He's like, hey, I don't want to be, I'd rather be with the saints, man. I'd rather be with my brothers and sisters than sitting home and focusing on the temptations because they're going to come at me. So that's an invitation to all of you. If you ever get to that place where you're like, man, I'm just, come on down. Pick up the phone and call a brother or sister in this fellowship. If you don't have their number, before you leave tonight, turn to your left or turn to your right and say, hey, man, I need, I need a brother. I need, I need a sister. If you're a, I need a sister. Guys, I need a brother. I need someone we can go and hang together. We'll get coffee. Go get a piece of pizza. Right? Get a cannoli. You know, something. Right? All right, let's stand and pray. Next week, bacon. Yeah, I should show you a picture. I had a family here this week. They, uh, last week or week before, they were on vacation. And I got a text and, uh, from a lovely family, and they said, Pastor Matt, this is for you, this sandwich. It had one slice of tomato, one slice of lettuce in this bread, and like that much bacon. And I was like, hoo-ha! You know, I was like, yeah! And they didn't bring me any. But uh, we'll have a conversation about that. So, <laughs> Father God, Thank you, Lord. Uh, we can certainly laugh and, and, and be together, but Lord, certainly your word um, is no laughing matter. You, you show us, you give us examples, you admonish us, you grow us, you love us. And certainly, Lord, we want to learn every, every lesson, God, that you have for us, that we don't want to repeat it twice. We don't want to go through multiple trials because of, of our hardness of heart or thick-headedness. God, we pray for your help and your guidance. Help us in our unbelief, Lord. And God, I also want to pray for those here, Lord, if there's anybody that, Lord, as, they, as they're deepening their walk with you, God, as they begin to draw in and open your word, and the attack comes, and they begin to feel alone, Lord. God, I pray even right now, God, you will seal in their minds. You will speak to their hearts. They are not alone, and they are loved, and they have a family here that loves them, and you've placed them here, and we love them. And Lord God, we are in this walk together. And Jesus, this is by your doing, by your hand of righteousness, for your spirit dwells corporately in the body of Christ as we just learned in Corinthians. So God, we acknowledge that. We claim and hold on to that promise and truth. And Lord, we pray for the strength and for the maturity of the bride of Christ throughout, Lord, this world. Lord, for all the lands, Lord, wherever people may be, wherever there's someone that goes by your name, tonight may they feel your strength. May they feel and experience your presence. Lord, not that it's all based on feelings, but Lord, to feel safe in your hands, to know that you have them right where they are and you will finish that work and you will, Lord, give them the victory. Because Lord, you've already told us it's already ours. What more could we ask? So God, we thank you. We praise you tonight. For you alone are worthy. And we pray all this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed.
Amen. Thank you, Lord. God bless you all. Uh, before you go, one, uh, one announcement. You, you heard about the Calvary Chapel magazine. VBS. I know there's a bunch of you. I'm going to mention it on Sunday. We've had some folks sign up already. You know, I want to see every one of our kids here. I, I want to see every one of our kids here. Look, this is important. We, we normally get them on a Wednesday or a Sunday for maybe an hour if the pastor keeps talking, an hour and 30 minutes, right? Maybe we get them. Every night of the week, Monday through Friday, to have them for two or two and a half hours like that, to worship God, to get the Bible and to encourage them, to build them up. Please, don't, don't steal that from them. Let them be part of that. Let them have that. These are their brothers and sisters. They're going to build relationships here. They're going to grow. We want them to be together. They need to be strengthened together. They build these relationships, just like we talked about tonight. Don't, don't, don't keep them away. Don't keep them on the other side of the Jordan. Let them come across the Jordan, please. Bring them across the Jordan. Let them see the supernatural works of God. Invite your friends. Grab their babies with their permission. <laughs> Bring them in. It's August 5th, right? It goes five days. It starts at 6 p.m., I believe. Be praying. Is 100 kids enough? No. Right? What, what, what do we want? We want to reach every single child. If God brings us 20, fine. But let's pray for 200. Huh? Are we praying, right? Are we praying that way? Let's pray for 200. That they get the word of God. Two, last year, two kids got saved. They accepted Christ. One in Kelly's class, and the, other, and the other boy that came up afterwards felt like, you know, he didn't belong anywhere. And he came up, and we made him pastor for the day. Oh, yeah. And he sat there and read the Bible. Where else is that going to happen? Where else are people going to pour into him that way? That's our job. Don't deny him that, okay, guys? Tell your friends. Get your kids. Bring them here, please. I ask you to pray about this, all right? I love you all. God bless you.